is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon Joman, my co host, Nick and Dan. Gentlemen, Matt Law special to kick off the week as we record before uh, Monday morning work, Nick. Uh, looking forward to this one. I think we're probably going to be pretty much focused on Manchester United, but uh, looking forward to bringing Matt in. Well, yeah, I mean, th- these were these were special episodes for a reason, and there's a lot going on. I mean, this this club, Matt, never really uh, stops uh, on on the news train. No, no, no. And just when you think that uh, you know there's not much news to be had, something always crops up with Chelsea. So uh, yeah, it's always interesting. It's good fun. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, I think Dan, even in a short turnaround, uh, found plenty of stuff for us to talk about. Uh, so, Dan, I'll let you kick it off kind of with the draw versus Manchester United. Well, Matt, you put together a pretty thoughtful analysis on everything that happened in 90 plus minutes of football for Chelsea yesterday. And I think the the main point was Chelsea being wasteful. And will they rue the day where their wastefulness comes back to bite them in the title challenge and you had a couple of key takeaways, so I just mean for those who have read the piece or who uh, enjoy hearing your descriptions a little bit more, mm-hmm. what would you say some of those big kind of reasons are? What were your kind of biggest takeaways from the day? Look, I don't want to, I don't want to look like I'm just picking on Timo Werner and, and making an easy scapegoat of him because it wasn't just Timo Werner who missed chances against Man United, and. You could argue that his his weren't the easiest of the, all the chances. Actually, you know, Rüdiger at the end, Hudson Odoi. You could make an argument that they were better chances than Timo's. But I, I was interested that Timo started through the middle yesterday. It was kind of through necessity in a way because obviously Lukaku couldn't be fit enough to start. It feels like Havertz can't have been fit enough to start. So it's kind of through necessity. But I thought it was a big day for Timo and he kind of fluffed his lines again through the middle. And we're 18 months now waiting for Timo to, for the flick to switch with him and for something to happen for him in front of goal. And you guys know I've been a big supporter of his. I I really like Timo. I like him as a guy. I like him as a character. I think he's got very dangerous qualities. I think he can add value to a team. But as a striker through the middle, as a guy you're going to have to rely on to maybe just get that, that goal that turns a draw into a win or turns a defeat into a draw, I think we've got to probably accept he's never going to be it for Chelsea. It's eight. I mean, I'm all for giving guys a chance, but we're not talking two or three months down the line or six months down the line. Like I say, we're 18 months down the line with him now, and he looks the same Timo Werner as he was 12 months ago. Nothing seems to have changed. Very dangerous, as I say, can add value, can certainly get assists and cause the opposition players' problem. But give him a big chance, and you've got to bank on him to miss it rather than score it. And... I personally thought yesterday was probably a moment to to really give up on Timo as as a goal scorer. As, as I'm not give up on him as a Chelsea player. I'm not saying he can't he can't play a part. He can play a part. He's a he's a good substitute. He's a good wide player. But I've kind of now given up on my head thinking it's going to come good from in front of goal because I've I've lost that belief. If I'm honest with you, I, I mean, I think. Maybe there's a difference in my mind, Matt, because I, you know, I kind of singled the through the middle performance out as well on on the on the Monday pod. But yep. is the difference that you know there were there are times last year where 
both Tuchel and Lampard tried to form the attack around Timo. And now it just seems like he's one of the options, right? And so you're not really forming, you know, the attack around him and his skill set. So does he become, you know, in your mind, just another one of the attacking trio and, and hopefully in one of the number 10 positions rather than than through the middle? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that they, they obviously didn't have that that striker last season at all, really. Um and now with Lukaku being there and Havertz being, I think Havertz, even though I'm, I don't think Havertz has had a brilliant season yet, although he was in good form before his slight knock, um, I think Havertz is now ahead of, of Timo as, as well for that central role. And I think it's clear that he's a, he's ahead in Tuchel's mind too. So sort of Werner has fallen into the pack now. He's, he's fallen into that pack and is looking forwards as long as people are fit. His, his probably only real chance of... of of playing is is off that left sort of ten stroke winger role, which he's much more dangerous at, and it, it seems to suit him. I mean, he can he scored against Juventus, obviously, but it was the fourth goal of a four nil win. It it was out. It was without the burden of any pressure whatsoever, and it feels like when the pressure's on him in front of goal, he he just cannot he cannot do it. Um, and like I say, I'm not trying to scapegoat the guy because I've I've been on record. I like him. I appreciate a lot of his qualities. I'm not saying he should never play for Chelsea again. No way. But I am. I was. I was always kind of in my head thinking maybe it will come right for Timo. Maybe there will be a moment where the flick switches in terms of his goal scoring. But I, I really don't see it now. Well, I mean, yeah, the the whole attack in the when he went down, Lukaku. We were trying all these different things. We've seen Kai and some stuff, but obviously yesterday. Wasn't quite ideal. Um, I remember last season, you know, he was providing the assists. He was the assist maker, you know, playing as one of the attackers, not necessarily uh, the striker. We'll have to kind of see. Could it be, I mean, you know, is there any chance that he's leaving? I mean, anytime soon, do you think Chelsea were are kind of going to look at his value and be like, ooh, do we cash in now before maybe one more season will really tank his value? I think there's a there'll be a chance at the end of the season that he does leave. I think for, for both parties, like you say, I think that Chelsea have got to be wary of the fact that the further he falls into the pack, the more it will impact his value. Albeit they got him on a, on a, on a decent deal because of the release clause. but um, So they wouldn't be looking for ridiculous money for him, I don't think. But yeah, they've got to be wary of his value. And also from his perspective, I would imagine once he falls back into the pack, he is a German international. Uh, he did come to play as the first choice striker, which he's been given plenty of chances to. But I I suspect Timo himself might start to think about it in the summer as well. So I wouldn't we're a long way out, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if if at the end of this season Timo leaves. Hmm. Are there right. any there are any suitors right now that are popping up? Well I mean the, the, there's there's gonna be obvious opportunities. There's there's gonna be a bit like last season, there's gonna be a lot of sort of movement around the strikers. You know, if if you assume that Erling Haaland could leave Borussia Dortmund, then that creates a massive knock-on impact throughout mm. sort of European football. And Borussia Dortmund would definitely come into the equation. Similarly, I keep being told by by good contacts that it's likely Lewandowski will look for something new this coming summer. Mm. Um, there's been a bit of speculation in Germany about his future. And of course, Nagelsmann at Bayern Munich, knows Timo Werner very, really well, loves Timo Werner. 
certain Manchester United interim manager is a very big fan of Timo Werner, although I don't see him, if he does leave, I don't see him staying in England <laughs> at all. But you, you would have thought there, there would be, there's a, there's a strong likelihood there would be an opportunity for him at either Munich or by Munich or Borussia Dortmund come the summer, which which would look sort of great for all parties at the moment. But we are a long way out. Well, keeping on the similar vein, you, you did write yesterday about Chelsea kind of lacking that killer instinct, which is a, you know, a bit of a consistent theme over the last, you know, year or so. I mean, the, the team maybe not converting chances that they've had, even though, you know, this is coming off of a week where, you know, Chelsea maybe looked their best that they have all season against Leicester and Juventus. Uh, maybe... Matt, could you give us a little bit of a synopsis on, on what you mean uh, just around the Manchester United game? Yeah, I mean, I, I for the first time this season now, I'm just a little bit worried about Chelsea's title, title hopes. And I know that's a bit reactionary and Lukaku's been injured, but if they if they get stuck in, in this sort of... Uh, stuck in this habit that they've had in the past of dominating games but not killing off opponents... The, the title, there's not going to be a lot of room for error in the title. I know everyone has slipped up. I know that Man City lost to Crystal Palace, and I know that, that Liverpool have already slipped up this season. Um, but I don't think there's going to be much room for error. And I think it will be a high points total again that, that wins the league. And, you know, even if it's just draws, even if they're not losing games, but if, if, if there are too many games whereby they just get caught out... Um, I worry that, that that will impact their their title challenge quite drastically, to be quite honest with you. And I know they've still got a one-point lead, but when you look at these Burnley and Man U games and, and everything else, you know, they should really have a sort of five-point lead at the, the top of the table, which would be a great cushion to have. Um, it does worry me a bit. And it puts so much pressure on us, and the defence have been so incredible, I think. I think it's like five goals or something they've conceded this season. Um, but for a whole season, can the defence really do that for a whole season, as good as they are and as well as they're playing? Is it realistic or is it fair to expect the defence to do that for a whole season and practically sort of win them the title from a defensive aspect? I think that is a massive ask when the games start piling up and when you throw in... Um, the Club World Cup, which will push fixtures back and condense the fixture list more. And when you throw in that that Mendy could well be missing in the African when it's the African Cup of Nations, don't know how long for. I just think it's a huge ask. And it put. I mean, we saw we basically saw Chelsea yesterday. I actually made two serious errors. One was the goal, and one was Mendy when he passed it straight to Fred at the end. And, and the whole of the rest of the game, they didn't really put a single foot wrong, and yet they, they don't win the game. And that's the pressure it puts on you if you don't take those chances. Yeah, I, I mean, that's absolutely true. We were kind of talking about the table, Matt, which this table is wild this season. You've got Chelsea on top. We've scored 31, conceded five, right? 30 points. City have scored 27, uh, conceded seven, and are in 29 points. Liverpool... Um, have scored 39, which is classic Liverpool. They've conceded 11, and they've got 28 points. Uh, West Ham have scored 24, conceded 16. They're only plus eight goal difference on 23 points. Then every other team is either negative or break even. Like the mm. goal difference is the top three, and mm. that's it. No one else is even close, which is is weird that's so stacked at the top. So I was looking at it too, saying, 
you know, the defense almost seems like the the bigger uh, difference, you know, because right now Chelsea have drawn three versus City's two. You know, we've prevented that additional loss right now, which, again, finest of margins if that's what we're coming down to by the end of the season. And what, what I'm looking at at the moment, and it is slightly reactionary, admittedly, um, is that I think Man City are probably more vulnerable to lose one or two games all season. But I also would back them to win more games from now until the end of the season than Chelsea, if that makes sense. I, I think whereas Chelsea, as Man City might occasionally get caught out by someone because their defence will let them down or or something, I still think they're more likely to then win all the other games. You don't, you don't see Man City drawing many games at all, really, do you? Um, and the, the, the draws, just just literally on the basis of the last two games and not taking those chances. If that were to, to even happen two or three more times, that could cost Chelsea the league, and that sounds ridiculous. It sounds absolutely ridiculous, but it could. And I actually do think, and I think we saw a little bit of it yesterday, I think Chilwell's a massive miss for them. Mm. I think it's a real... Those, those full-backs were just playing unbelievably well. Rhys James is still playing unbelievable well, but as a pair, you know, you... You saw the classic of them sort of crossing it to the back post for the other one. And they would switch the play between themselves. And the fact that both of them were so dangerous made it so hard for a team to concentrate on one or the other or try and work out a way of playing one or the other because you had the two of them. And playing in tandem, they were just so unbelievably dangerous. I mean, at the moment, I was going to sound Timo Werner. I would back Reese James to play up front and score more goals than Timo Werner at the moment. And that's not being... Dis- overly disrespectful to Timo Werner, but the way Reese James is striking the ball and finishing chances has just been off the charts. But Chilwell too, and I just think Chilwell, him missing not just what they missed from him, but that balance of what the two fullbacks together can bring. They were almost playing like two auxiliary tens sometimes, not even wingers. They were kind of coming inside and playing as tens sometimes. I, I honestly think it's a massive, massive miss for Chelsea that one. Uh, maybe while we're chatting about uh, the the impact of Chilwell before we kind of cover off on a couple other things. So uh, I know you wrote a piece about, you know, the ACL injury and the approach that Chelsea's taking the wait six weeks. Hopefully the micro tear shows some signs of progress. They don't have to do surgery. Maybe he makes it back onto the pitch very optimistically at some point this season or then move to surgery just from like the, option standpoint what are you seeing or what are you even hearing around what Chelsea is going to do from a short term or short to midterm if Chilwell is not available for the remainder of the season well look it makes perfect sense what Chelsea have chosen to do I mean the the, the initial scan I think um a lot of clubs would have sort of given up on him for the season I think but they, they can't do anything till January anyway, even if they were thinking about possibly doing anything till January. Um, nothing really changes by, if he has the surgery, if he ends up having the surgery in January, he still should be back for the start of next season, I'm told. Um, that They would be hopeful that it would be more a six-month injury than a nine-month injury. So you're not sort of writing off the first month or two of next season by delaying the surgery, as it were, in the hope that that, he recovers enough to, to possibly make surgery uh, not happen. So it it's completely sensible. It's, an, it's a no-lose situation to be in in terms of just waiting for the six weeks. It is a partial tear. 
Um, I think in all probability, it's more likely that he ends up having to have surgery, but I'm not told it's a definite that he will have to have surgery. And therefore, it's literally just to hope and, and cross the fingers that it, it repairs itself slightly um, enough to give them some, some breathing space. What I don't know and what I haven't got a handle on is they obviously have this six weeks period where they're going to they're going to basically scan him again in, in sort of five or six weeks. And that will be the scan which will pretty much determine whether he has surgery. If that scan comes back and says he doesn't need surgery, what I don't know at this point is whether then he, the thought is then he will be able to play then, or are we looking at, well, he'll play again this season, but he still has to recover longer. So it's not like he just comes back in six weeks, but does he then have to have another month of sort of recovery and he might be in a position to play after another month? What we know is he's not playing again this year, which is what I ended up writing last week. Um, and the fear is, is that he could be out for the season, but it's going to be a little nervous time for him and Chelsea. What it does show you as well, the fact they're doing it this way around, it, it just shows you what a massive loss he would be for them because they're obviously really hanging on in there, hoping against hope that somehow they get him back on the pitch at some point this season. That that shows you how important he is to them and and how much of a blow it would be for them. In terms of what they would do if he's out, personally, I don't see them going into the market in January for a left back. I don't really see don't really see the value of that and who would be out there given that they would be being signed as a sort of stopgap. I thought it was very interesting against Man United that they finished the game with Reese at left back and Pulisic at right wing back because Tuchel referenced in a press conference Pulisic's ability to play right wing back. I didn't think Alonso did enough to make you think, oh yeah, okay, we'll just stick with Alonso all season, everything will be fine. So it's a, it's a, it's a problem for Chelsea, but I, I would be surprised if it's solved by signing a player. Maybe they bring Matson. Maybe they bring Ian Matson back. I mean, that that would be yeah. another option for them. Are you hearing anything about that? It, it's it's clearly being discussed, and they're clearly able to do it if they want to do it. But again, I mean, is he ready? Is is that is he ready to come into a Premier League title charge? I mean, I would assume if he's brought back, he would be brought back to play in the cups and and the Club World Cup and things like that to to make sure that the other people who have moved up the pecking order that no chances are being taken on on them. Yeah, uh, a couple different options. Uh, we, we were always talking about how we had way too many left backs. Now we could use one, ironically, for a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I suppose that happens. Um, Nick, what about your boy? I think you're probably one of the biggest Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, supporters on the pod. Not that any of us don't like him, uh, but it looks like he's kind of hit the brakes a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we talked about his performance yesterday, Matt. I mean, it's it's his first kind of like high pressure start uh, for for a little bit, and you just wanted to get your thoughts on on him yesterday. Obviously, I, I think there were some some really good things that he did, and and utilizing his body and getting out of tight spaces, and then you know we saw his performance kind of dip the closer he got to goal. Um, but uh, you know, one, I guess he's probably going to play a lot moving forward. So where, where are the uh, areas of his game that he can improve? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a big call, wasn't it, to, to put him in for that game? I mean, it's, it was the right call and he deserves it. But he's the way he's moved up, I mean, we, we're only sort of four months into the season and, and that's 
including all the international breaks we've had. And he's gone from being sort of fifth or sixth choice midfielder up to sort of third or fourth choice midfielder in, in that central role. You know, he's he's done amazingly to move up. I, I kind of thought it was a six out of ten performance from him. I thought he was fine. I didn't I didn't see any problem with him. Um but he also didn't you got the feeling he could have done a little bit more. I agree about the closer he got to goal. He he just looked like he didn't want to shoot. <laughs> he had a lot of shooting opportunities and just always looked for the pass. Maybe that's what he's, he could be being told that on the training pitch, in all fairness. But he looks, he has the ability to score goals. We saw it under Sari where he had a very good goal scoring run. And if you remember, Conte even played him as a centre forward and thought he could do that job. He, he, he has the ability to score goals. So maybe... That's a bit of a confidence thing. Maybe he was just lacking that little bit of confidence. Yeah, I, I mean, he did miss the the header, the open header, which was the yeah. obvious like real chance that he had yesterday. But most people are are remembering the goals for sorry. That was him coming off of the left and yeah. wanting to use his right to curl the ball. Yeah. He never really had that chance yesterday because uh, United were kind of packed in there like sardines. So it'll be interesting to see if he and Jorginho kind of flip sides sometime to give him some opportunity to to get forward into that more familiar space. It's another good point, though, because, I mean, again, this is why I wouldn't want to look to be scapegoating Timo Werner because there's just not a lot of goals in there at the moment, is there? There's not, you know, Jorginho scores his penalties and, and Kante obviously had scored against Leicester, but there's it just feels like they need, other than the strikers, other than Lukaku coming in and really hitting the ground running again, which they obviously need, it feels like they need, and Reese James has obviously been doing amazingly from, from right back, but it feels like they need a midfielder just to start chipping in with a few more goals for me. And this, this has been a slight complaint of mine for a while about the Chelsea midfield, that it can get a little bit stodgy um, and they could do with someone just contributing a few more goals, just again, to take a little bit of the pressure off that one striker and a bit of the pressure off the defence to just chip in here and there. And it, it goes for the wide players too, you know. Callum, Callum has scored goals, but he he had chances yesterday. It, it does need, you know, your wide players really should be chipping in with sort of 10, 11 goals a season. If you're looking at sort of Liverpool and Man City, if you're going to do what they do, um, which is obviously a different way to Chelsea play, but you probably need one or two of them on, on the flanks to chip in with 10 or 11 goals. And you need a midfielder to kind of at least six or seven, I'd imagine. Um, and they're way down on the numbers with that. Like I say, you've got Jorginho's penalties and you've got Reese making up for a bit of it because you don't get many right-backs scoring five goals at this time of the season. But one of the midfielders kind of needs to step up on the goals front a bit, I, I feel. And I've, I've felt that for a while with Chelsea and, and those wide players, you know, Ziyech comes into that. Pulisic might help that because of all the wide players, he he does have that eye for goal. Well, we, we did talk about the return of one man, which hopefully will restore some of the lack of goals in this Chelsea side and Lukaku, who got a bit of a cameo at the very, very end of the match. But it, it seems like, Matt, that was just a let's start to run him out for a few minutes, make sure he gets back up to the speed of the game ahead of a very busy rest of the month and continue to be um, use an abundance of caution given the situation at Chelsea with a little bit of these injury concerns and the heavy amount of fixtures. Is that how you read the situation? Yeah, I mean, it feels like Tuchel could have probably thrown him in a bit earlier, but 
can't can't just cannot risk uh, losing him for any big length of time with the injuries that they've had, like you say. Um, and they have got an extremely busy period coming up. But I mean, I, I personally, such a simple thing to say and impossible to prove, but I'm I'm still convinced that Chelsea beat Burnley and Man United with a fit Lukaku starting both games. You know, they both look games to me watching them that, that Romelu would have would have scored in. Um, I think he's just going to be massive. I've, I've thought it all season. I know before his injury, there was a bit of a growing debate around him and the right way Chelsea were playing with him and yeah. they were going a bit yeah. long and slow to him. And and that's valid. And there is an argument that they've actually been a bit freer in their play without him. But he's you've got to have him in there if you're going to win the league, I think. I think he's going to be absolutely... He's the only guy in that Chelsea team who's going to score 20 goals. And if you don't have a guy who scores 20 goals, you're not winning the league, in my view. So he has to play for me and he he will be so heavily relied upon. I mean, I would certainly like to see him in again. I'm going to the Watford game on Wednesday. They're a physical team. They're a big, big team. They've got lots of energy. They've got big defenders. They're, but they're not technically brilliant. Chelsea will make chances. Chelsea can exploit their fullbacks in terms of crosses. I would look at that Watford game and think it's absolutely perfect, uh, perfect for Romelu. So I, I would hope that Romelu would start that, that game and I would fully back him to be very, very strong in that game. And I'd, I'd probably back him to score in that game. Well, I think um, he offers something obviously very different. I'm sure he mm. was jumping at the bit to get in to take on his old team. Um, but, you know, just just kind of missed that. Reese almost caught him when Reese is on the left. He cut back and then crossed it with his right. You know, obviously just a little bit too high. But the fact that he was in the danger zone and able to create something off the defenders, you just kind of felt like, ah, oh, that's what we wish we had more of in this match because United were defending so deep. So uh, hopefully we can we can bring him back in soon. But uh, we're gonna take a quick break. But when we get back, uh, we're gonna talk about the defense in contract disarray? Question mark. Uh, all about the defense and see where we're at with that. So thanks to sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, not to stir controversy, Matt, or mm. controversy as we would say over here. It's only um, what Brandon does. Only Brandon <laughs> does. Uh, but we just thought we should talk about the the defense. Um, I feel like the last time we talked about Christensen, that might have ruffled some feathers and some headlines came out and uh, some quotes came out. And so we just thought we could just continue to go through everything. Um, but obviously... Trevo Chalba extended. Uh, he's finding quite a few minutes recently. Um, but we know that Christensen, Rudiger, Aspilicuit, and Silva all still haven't had a deal. I posed the question to the guys yesterday. It's a little bit, is it, or I'm sorry, is it weird that Christensen isn't, hasn't really featured since it was like long before the last international break? I think the beginning of November. Well, it's since the Burnley game, isn't it? Yes. Where he did make, he was. I would say jointly culpable with Tony Rüdiger for Burnley's equaliser. I think Rüdiger played them all on side, and and Christensen sort of got beaten in the air or caught slightly out of position. I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but I remember in my copy at the time, sort of partly blaming both of those guys for for Burnley equaliser. And I don't think he started a game since. Um, I don't think, and I can't know this. It's impossible to know this because he'll never tell me. But I don't think Tuchel's the kind of manager who plays the games that some managers might play. Of, well, if you haven't signed your contract, I'm not going to play you, and let's try and let's try and force you to do something this way. I I don't think that's the case because you know at the end of the day, 
Tony Rüdiger hasn't signed his contract and Tony Rüdiger's still playing every single minute of every single game. But I am told that that's now more of a fluid chat than it was. So, I, look, I've said all along, I think Christensen will get done. Christensen was done and then there was a problem and everything stopped and everything slowly but surely sort of getting talked about again. And there seems to be a few concessions on both sides since we last spoken in terms of length and what can be done with options and all that kind of thing. So I still think Christensen will get done, whether it's, I mean, Tuchel made it sound like it's very close and it, it might be done very soon, a few weeks ago, or it might still rumble on a bit, but I think it will get done. And I, I just can't believe that Tuchel's playing games on his team selection with his contract, given that, like I say, Tony Rudiger on the other side is playing every minute of every game and, and he's no closer to signing a new contract. Well, let's talk about Rudiger. <laughs> uh, anything, anything on that front? Or are we still kind of in a holding pattern? Uh, still in a holding pattern. What I do think is, I do think there'll be. I, I'm told that there are likely to be some new talks with with Rudiger and his people coming up. Hmm. I think there's there's going to be some more negotiations, which should, it doesn't feel like it goes. It could have been happening in secret, but I've not had wind of it, and it doesn't feel like any negotiations have been happening with Rudiger pretty much since the summer when the, the first offer was rejected. Um, I, I'm told there are likely to be some more negotiations now, so talks to reopen, but they're going to be reopening at a time where we're not far off from when the, the negotiations can start happening with, with foreign teams as well. So whether Rüdiger's people want to know what's on the table from Chelsea again before they then start talking to, far, to foreign clubs, or whether there's a move from his people to actually enter into meaningful negotiations with Chelsea with, with a view to actually getting something agreed, we'll see. So it's, I would say it's 10% more optimistic than last time we spoke, because I think there is, like I say, going to be talks. Um, but I, I still think that one's further away than Christensen, and I, I'm far less certain of, of him staying than, than Christensen saying. I've said all along January would be the key for Rüdiger. If he gets those absolutely massive offers from abroad that his people obviously think he's capable of getting then then that could really influence everything and you said you feel like chelsea are happy to wait it out and see you know kind of play the odds of him not getting it so then if he doesn't then obviously they'll have the leverage again they're kind of okay to play that game well look all all clubs would rather i think get them signed up but what, what we've learned from chelsea over the years and especially with the way marina does business is she won't be pushed into business and she won't be panicked into giving someone um, a contract just because the length. The only time they've really given sort of a contract above the odds, as it were, and been rushed into it was when um, when Callum had the Bayern Munich interest um, mm. and obviously looked like he was going to leave at one stage. And, and that sort of forced their hand on that contract. So that, that again to me, points to January being so key with Rüdiger, because does he get the other offer that then panics Chelsea and prompts them into action? But without that offer, they won't be panicking or, or worrying about anything because they know, well, they know that he, they're, they're sort of, there's still time to do it. And they, they don't mind doing these deals late if they have to do them late. They've never minded doing that. That's not been a problem for them. So, um, yeah, I don't see anything getting resolved either way very quickly there, but yeah, a little bit more optimistic because I think there will be some talks coming up. All right. Well, the last one, I think, because we all understand what the situation is for Tiago Silva. Um, he's actually regressing in age. So that's going well. 
Um, Aspilicueta, same, same. He hasn't really featured uh, for, since October. Aspilicueta was bit. really interesting yesterday. Did you? I don't know whether you guys got it on the, the TV feed or not, but um, I, where we sit in the press box is right behind the the dugouts. And Aspilicueta on the Chelsea bench yesterday was like a member of the coaching staff. He was up off his seat so often. He was there was quite a lot of to and fro and arguing between the two benches. Darren Fletcher from Manchester United, who was on their touchline, was very vocal indeed. Aspilicueta was the guy on the Chelsea bench giving it back to United. You know, often it'll be one of the assistant coaches or or, or someone like that. It was Aspilicueta at one end of the the substitutes. And it also it was Aspilicueta giving directions to the team. I mean, there were it was not reminiscent of Ronaldo in, in the Euros with Portugal when he was on the touchline. But you know, there was there was a bit of that to it. He was he was helping to coach the team and helping to get involved with the other coaching staff. And it really showed you um and gave you an insight into how valuable Aspilicueta is, even when he's not playing for Chelsea. And I, I actually it is I mean I know for sure that Tuchel wants them both. He he wants them both to stay, regardless of how much playing time they're getting come the end of the season. And this is why, if you take Aspilicueta and Silva out of that Chelsea squad, not even the team, there's not a lot of leadership because it's such a young squad. And Jorginho is a very different kind of leadership to those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're the real guys who will set standards who will demand better who will really really not let people rest whether it be their own players or the opposition or staff and they will keep making demands of people if you were to lose both of them which i don't think you will by the way i think you'll you'll probably end up keeping both uh on new contracts but it just shows what he gives them and if you remember the last two times chelsea have won the premier league title They've done so with John Terry, who basically didn't play much that season, but acting as that sort of dressing room sort of manager. And the other time was with Drogba. And both times after they won the league, Drogba left and John Terry left. And everything fell apart because they didn't... It's not just because of this, but one of the reasons everything fell apart those those seasons after winning those leagues was because they lost leadership in the squad and the dressing room and they didn't have natural leaders to step in. They didn't have other people. And I think that's the same now. I think Silver and Aspilicueta are those guys now. And if you lose them, you will lose such a huge part of the setting standards around the training ground, setting standards within the team, on the touchline. We've seen Silver in the Champions League last season in the stands. I was watching Aspilicueta in the stands yesterday. It's it's hard to quantify how much, but I think it's so important. And the le- the lesson from history is there for Chelsea. They've lost these leaders before and things have fallen apart and they've gone through terrible times because of it. And the, the dressing room has sort of fallen into disarray. These guys are they're the glue. They are the absolute glue for Chelsea. And Tuchel sees that. Tuchel definitely sees that. And that's why I think both guys will get offered new contracts. And Silver 100% wants to stay, and I think Aspilicueta will want to stay too. So I think they'll both sign new contract. Silva's wife has made that known via Instagram lately. Exactly. And, you know, Silva was very honest when he joined Chelsea. Silva said, my big ambition is to use this move as a way of not only furthering my club career, um, but also to keep myself in that Brazil team for the Qatar World Cup. 
that's a massive thing for him. Um, and this time next year, he'll he'll be playing in that Qatar World Cup thanks to this move at Chelsea, probably. Well, wow. You're welcome, Thiago Silva. Glad we could pay you back <laughs> for uh, this wonderful contribution I think, look, you provided I, us. <laughs> I, I wrote it last week. Can you guys... I mean, there's a debate to be had of, over whether he's one of the best free transfers in Premier League history. I think he's got to be within the, the top three or four. He's got to be the best free transfer in Chelsea's history, right? Am I missing anyone? Free? I'd have to look at a list. I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but for me, he's got to be the best free transfer in Chelsea's history. Yeah, he's he's in the all-time value team, I think. Um, yeah. new team all-time value yeah. 11 <laughs> yeah i'm looking at well him and asby both but asby was like seven million pounds so I yeah mean, by comparison was ridiculously expensive um <laughs> eto eto was up there gianluca viale was one didier drogba mm. technically after galatasaray but yeah his the second, second stint oh, oh, come on <laughs> yeah um gustavo poyer michael ballack was a free? Oh, yes, he's Ballack's a free. Ballack, Ballack's a good shout. Rude, that's a Rude good shout. That's so, a tough call. Yeah, shout out to Bleach Report's 2017 article. Shit, that's probably Gary Hayes from back in the day <laughs> <laughs> when he was there. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, quality nonetheless. I mean, especially the instant impact, Matt. You say, you know, going from two different managers winning the Champions League in the first season, like pretty impactful, pretty impactful. But yeah, I mean, he could, he could literally go. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that he goes Champions League, Premier League, World Cup. <laughs> or what? Champions League, Champions League, World Cup. You know. I, just, I like all those move, I like all those iterations. Parties. Yeah. That the move for all parties has just worked out so stupidly well. So stupidly well. But the, the, uh, his impact on the pitch, I just think, is is even, potentially as big as his impact on it, possibly even greater. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, as we round this out, uh, festive fixture season is upon us. Matches every three to four-ish days through the remainder of the month. Chaos ensues. Um, Chelsea have the following matches uh, at Watford, at West Ham, at Zenit, home to Leeds, home to Everton, at Wolves, at Brentford, in the cup match, at Villa, uh, your Villa, so the London is blue, Matt Law Derby, and (laughs) then a Brighton match so out of all of those, um, what do you think Chelsea's maybe how, how are you forecasting where Chelsea will be maybe at the end of this, given the the competition level, but also maybe the the run of fixtures here? Look, I, I um I know the run of fixtures on paper sort of don't look easy, but they, they look favorable. You know, you're not playing any of the traditional big boys, as it were, in, in that run. I actually think it's quite a tough set of fixtures in its own way. I think I think Watford away on Wednesday could be anything. Mm-hmm. It could be it could be anything. I I never know what I'm getting with Watford. I really don't know ever what I'm getting with Watford. They they can sometimes look incredibly strong especially at home. Um and Saar is obviously very dangerous. And then other times they're just a disaster and you're like this team are going to get relegated so easily. You just they're very hard to predict Watford are. And they've won some very good home games already this season. So Watford, I don't know what to expect. It could be anything, but it wouldn't be one I would look at and say would definitely be easy either. And, you know, I think the home crowd, Ranieri's got them rocking because they've had a couple of big results there. Um, West Ham away, really tough game. You know, always a tough game anyway for Chelsea generally because it's a derby game. And then tougher, you know, they've, they've, 
beaten Liverpool, they've beaten Man United there. We know that's going to be a tough game. We know how they will play. They will frustrate Chelsea and they will really try to play on what we've been talking about of Chelsea not taking their chances and then and then try and hit them. That's a tough game. Um, look, who knows where Villa are by the 26th, but the moment Gerrard breathes some life into Villa could end up being a, a tricky a tricky game for them. Brighton, Brighton are a hard, a hard team to quantify as well. They play such good football. It's not an easy run. It's not an easy run. I don't think it's an easy run. They'll go and win every single game now because I've said this. They'll win absolutely <laughs> points. But it's not an easy run. I mean, look, what, what they've got in their favour is the Zenit game. I know they'll want top spot and that's still up for grabs, but they don't have to go full throttle with Zenit. They can rest some players. That will help them within this fixture list. Um I think Brentford, we will see very much a, a sort of B team, as it were, for that Carabao, because I think they're going to have to start really prioritising now. Um, and this Christmas period coming up and the busy period always proves to be so key to the, to the title race. You know, or you've got to still be right in it after this. Otherwise, it, it then gets difficult to make it back up. But I... I I don't see any easy games in there. I just don't see any of them being easy at the moment. I, I think I think there's banana skins to be had. But, uh, you know, I would expect Chelsea to fare well, don't get me wrong. But I'd, I'd be wary of people looking at that just on the names, thinking, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good run, because I think it'll be trickier than maybe some people think. Extra special bonus question, uh, because why not? Um, any idea about the Club World Cup yet? <laughs> Announced the dates got announced today. Oh, good. So okay, it, cool. It's still I, early I for us, so we haven't scrolled Twitter yet. <laughs> yeah. you not, I, I need to double check them. Um, now I'm talking to you. I shouldn't off the top of my. I think it's February the fourth to February the twelfth, or something like that. It's right at the start of February, so I think your Arsenal match has to be moved, um, and I think you've got a Brighton match that probably has to Brighton away and Arsenal at home, uh, and it's February the third to February the twelfth. Sorry. So you're going to have to juggle a couple of games. And there'll probably be a cup game in there, but whether you're in the cup, because it'll probably be a, a semi-final of a cup game um, of the, the Carabao. But yeah, so that will condense the fixture list more. Brighton, Brighton away as well, not an easy game. Mm-hmm. Arsenal at home has proven its challenges in the past before for Chelsea. So, so two quite tricky games that will have to be sandwiched in somewhere else. Didn't, didn't Liverpool have the issue... A year or two ago, probably two years ago now when they won it, where they had to like send like a youth team to play a fixture because they're at the Club World Cup. Is that it was against Villa. Is that gonna be Villa. Chelsea's problem it now in, too? It, well it, it was it was in the Carabao Cup. It was um it was two years ago. Villa reached the final. And I think that was at the quarter final stage. It was Villa at home to Liverpool, and Liverpool played a team of under twenty threes. I think Villa won sort of five nil or something like that. Because um, the first team were yeah. in the final, the whole first team squad were over Club in the, the Club World Cup. So, were Chelsea to make the Carabao semi-final, which I think this is one of them, um, the same would have to happen. It looks like they don't reschedule it. Then you you would be required to put a team out. All right. Well, how about that? <laughs> and you've got. I wonder uh, though. I wonder though whether that comes into the Brentford thinking. I mean, what's the point of playing anyone against Brentford if you're thinking in the back of your head? If we progress in this competition, we're going totally. to pretty much have to ride it off. So, again, when we're talking about the the fixtures and the juggling the squad for a packed fixture list, 
do you just write off Brentford and, and put a real under 23 team? Let you get play. a debut and you get a debut <laughs> yeah. and you get a debut. Yeah. Just... It, it, it would seem sensible in a way. Yeah, we'll have to see. Obviously, AFCON starting, you know, in January, you know, just... Or, I don't know. Well, right, you hear right. anything about AFCON right now? Well, that that's going to become... I would suspect in the next week we will start hearing noises about Premier League clubs being uncomfortable about sending players to AFCON. It's in Cameroon. Cameroon is not one of the countries that I'm aware of so far that's been added to the uh, English red list. A load of African countries have recently been added to the English red list because of the new variant. But I would very much suspect over the course of this week that we might start hearing noises about clubs becoming nervous about that. So watch this space, I would say. I would imagine that the event itself will have to go ahead. Um, but whether English clubs start to talk about whether they're comfortable letting their players go to it is a whole different thing and could get quite messy because quite understandably, the players themselves quite often are very keen to go and represent their country in these competitions. Very, very true. So look, before we get into that problem, we're just going to stick with the festive fixture problem uh, and, and work through that one. A lot of matches and not a lot of days. Remember, uh, again, Watford's coming up on Wednesday. Uh, I've already got to set my fantasy lineup already, and I'm worried about what I'm going to do because I'm probably going to miss a deadline, but that's my problem. So, Matt, thanks for jumping on and sharing the knowledge. Cheers, guys. Speak soon. Absolutely. Anyways, Dan and Nick, appreciate you guys. Uh, more tech, more content coming this week, so be on the lookout for that. But as always, um, we really appreciate Matt and everything he does. Make sure you're signed up so you can read his articles when they break because we only touch on the surface-level stuff. There's a lot more in them. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.